Welcome back to Warning Shot. Andy Zemanidis with Joel Rubin. The war's dragging on, but who's winning, Joel? Who is winning? Uh, right now, quite frankly, nobody is winning. Right now, uh, we are in a stalemate. But when you look at it from the perspective of a month ago, certainly Ukraine is winning in terms of the international community's support in Ukraine standing up and defending its territory. Russia is not achieving its goals. And so the Ukrainian people have won a legitimacy about their sovereignty in their country that they never have had before. And so in the big picture, they're winning. But in the immediate military conflict, it's really in this horrible, diabolical stalemate. When you tell well, me, let, let, let's put it this way, though. But Russia is certainly losing. Absolutely. A anything other than a quick win. I mean, we've already seen and we've talked about the unintended consequences, stuff that Putin didn't count on. The West coming together, everybody imposing, even this week, even Israel, who was doing a little fence sitting up to now, said we are complying yep. uh, with the sanctions, uh, which leaves, and we've We've noted this before. We'll say it again. The only Western ally, the only NATO member uh, not complying with the sanctions, not closing their airspace to Russia is Turkey. But that unity, despite that that, that holdout, that unity, that uh, really tough line, and not only tough line in diplomatic uh, rhetoric, economic sanctions, but there are real consequences, and the West is starting to arm. I mean, I mean, who would have bet, Joel? Simple. Who would have bet that Germany would be hitting the 2% threshold in defense spending and giving weapons in an active conflict? You know, it's stunning that nowadays everyone is applauding Germany for militarizing. Right? I mean, the, the, the Germans started two world wars and their their entire uh public culture since world war ii has been about staying out of wars and military conflicts but i think they see the writing on the wall that this is existential for them it's existential for democracy it's existential for our values uh broadly speaking as, as just wanting freedom and independence as human beings and president Zelensky spoke to that yesterday so thank goodness the germans are stepping up but Zelensky did tell the Germans they're not doing enough. Um, but I have to say, when you look at it across the board, uh, the response that we've seen in the last few weeks, uh, the President Biden yesterday announcing another 800 million uh, in, in defense articles. This 800 million is not 800 million that the United States is asking a third party country to provide. This is $800 million worth of value of American military supply we are unloading our stockpile. We are sending javelins. We are sending stingers. We're sending millions of munitions. We are sending grenade launchers, anti-aircraft, anti you name it. Uh, we are sending this directly now to the Ukrainian military at an unprecedented level. To your point that uh, the Russians, they have lost this argument. And they are losing on the battlefield. They are getting hammered. 7,000 Russians killed in less than a month. Uh, we didn't, I, I, I don't say this with, with, with I, lightly, we didn't lose 7,000 people in Iraq and Afghanistan 
combined, I don't believe, maybe just over 7,000. And they're losing and they're losing the disinformation war or the information war. I mean, for since 2016, obviously, we've had a big in big focus on disinformation, Russian disinformation, especially here in the U.S. That's right. But Ukraine, I, I I'm. I wish it was just a basketball game so we could be amused by trash talk. The stakes are too high, mm-hmm. but it's amazing when they, when they bombed Zelensky's summer home and he tweeted, you missed me. The Ukrainian finance ministry uh, making a formal announcement that if you capture a Russian tank or armored car, you can have it tax free uh, showing now, of course, there's there's some controversy uh, over uh, Ukraine doing this, but showing Russian uh, soldiers that they've captured saying we were lied to. Uh, that's uh, that's questionable under the Geneva Convention. You're not supposed to parade around prisoners of war. Right. But at or sending the ID cards to Russian mothers to say, hey, you want your kids back? Give us a call. Uh, this Is there a win for Russia here at all? You know, there is no way out for Russia, which is what scares military planners in the United States. Uh, Russia, if let's just say it completes its mission, it devastates Ukraine, it kills tens of thousands of people, uh, millions leave the country, it empties the country out, and it takes that physical territory. There will not be an end to sanctions on Russia. Russia will be isolated diplomatically. It will be cut off. It will not get back in to the community of nations. That's the best case scenario for Russia. The worst, worst case is Russian military doctrine and, and attitudes about what happens if they lose. The unthinkable. They went in cocky, quite frankly. They're going to win. They're going to roll. It's going to be two days. It's over. And it's not. And now Putin, historically, Russians, when they lose these kinds of wars, their their dictators, their leaders get toppled. Putin knows this. This is Russian history. This yeah, history. And, and I guess that's where I want to go to because if, yeah. he, if he has no win and he literally has everything to lose, everything, everything and, and especially these this talk of about, about a palace coup. Again, in your previous life in the State Department, you worked on arms control. You worked on weapons of mass destruction yeah. and on on nuclear weapons. How worried are you, are, are you about even the possibility of the use of, a let's say, a tactical nuke? Right. Um, uh, there is no such thing as a limited nuclear war. Let's just put that plane on the table. Uh, nuclear weapons, once discharged, can create a cascading effect that can multiply 100 nuclear weapons discharged and we've got a nuclear winter. We've lost 2 billion people on the planet. There is no such thing as a nuclear war that is limited. It contaminates the region all around it. The only way to potentially limit it is to have reasonable people on the other side, like Joe Biden, in this case, who is highly reasonable. Do you think, but do you think Putin is actively considering it without a doubt he has saber rattled too many times about nuclear issues uh, in terms of language about the west seeing essentially uh, a devastating attack they never seen before 
Uh, he has sent his troops in to capture nuclear facilities. These are power generation facilities, but they are nuclear. He has gaslit us into arguing that chem bio nuclear weapons are being developed by Ukraine, sort of justifying creating kind of false pretext for potentially his use. So it is top of mind. He is extorting uh, our strategy through the, the nuclear saber rattling without a doubt. Um, that's why we don't want any country to have nuclear weapons, not only because it could end humanity, but because it also creates this kind of moral hazard where Russia is doing whatever it's doing in large part because from the air, because we are worried about his interest in using a nuclear weapon. So yes, absolutely. There is a high probability that if backed into a corner where he is clearly going to lose that he will consider deploying a nuclear weapon. And I say that- So would it be something like, geographically, would it be something like he did this week where he, he fired missiles at a Western, the one of the westernmost bases uh, from U of Ukraine near the Polish border? Uh, is, is this something that would be a signaling move? Uh, I mean, where do you well, think you know, is a most vulnerable spot? There have been uh, uh, talks about him uh, dropping a bomb on a uh, Polish base, potentially where there's supply coming through and this massive amount of supply that we're going to shove through. And we're, we're coordinating with our European command, which is the central node of our, our, our military operations in Europe to coordinate and how to get these supplies out. Who knows where he may want to go with it, but the, the, the wind does blow west to east in those parts of the world. And um, that means towards him. And uh, uh, tactical nuke is so beyond the pale of unleashing the kind of, 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 of cascading chain of events that um, that is the most frightening thing. But he could very well go just underneath a hypersonic. There are, there are missiles in his arsenal that could be extremely powerful. That could also be read as potentially a nuclear bomb as well. Um, I, I guess and then he also could carpet bomb. I mean, he he, he could do what the, the Soviets did to Berlin uh, at the end of World War II. That's one of the things we're trying to avoid in losing a historic city like Kiev. Uh, do you think his, he, I mean, is his prime motive right now still to decapitate the regime, take out Zelensky? Because I want to talk about Zelensky. We've celebrated him. We've called him the 21st century's first first action hero. Is that the only possible win for him right now? I mean, what's in his mind? Is his is his win saying, I killed the head of the Nazi regime? Again, let's remind people that he's yeah. calling a Jewish guy uh, who whose parents fought the Nazi or whose family fought the Nazis. He's calling him a Nazi. But Get inside his head when you guys were planning. I'm sure you were having, you know, you were you were in the State Department during many wars. Yeah. Were you guys getting psychological profiles and saying this is what that guy's thinking? Is that yeah, what they're yeah. thinking right now? Are uh, is the State Department working on especially close with profilers right now? Well, you know, when I when I served in military affairs at the State Department during the war in Iraq and I was in a diplomatic agency that was conducting our engagements with foreign governments on a continual basis to essentially launch a war. 
We had Bush. We had Cheney. We had a, a war of choice, uh, a nightmarish uh, dynamic. But there, that's what they did. And they turned the machine into that war machine. And when I served in that, all of the planning, all of the profiling, everything you're asking about, that was always part of the mix. There was always this discussion. But really, getting in the head of the leader is the most impossible of impossible tasks. Now, it's clear that we knew for months before the invasion of Ukraine by Russia that they were up to something. And we didn't know that because we were watching the news and it was telling us. Our people on the inside knew it because they knew information. They obtained that information through sources and methods that they did not disclose, as they should not, because that could compromise intelligence sources and put people's lives in danger. But they got that information because of insight. I think the problem now, I'll just say this, Andy, is that nobody really can clearly explain what Putin's endgame is. It's kind of like reminiscent of when we went in and we had this idea bush and cheney said we're going to be greeted as liberators it's going to go and it's going to be fast we sent in this fake leader ahmed chalabi five six weeks into the war into baghdad he's going to take over and it's done right sweets and treats you know no problem and then the insurgency came and the reality dawned on the administration certainly career people at state at defense we all knew that that was complete garbage but that's what they sold themselves same thing is happening now Putin and his acolytes had this mirage in their mind of what they were going to do. And that has failed. And they, it seems, don't. And not only one mirage, it seems it, so it many. Looks like there's whatever their plan B and their plan C were must have fallen by. The, it looks like all their assumptions are off. And by the way, going back to the going back to the theme that we've struck, and especially last week of. There is no over there. Whatever happens over there makes a difference over here. It, the vice, the reverse is true. Is actually more true. Whatever we do here makes a difference over there, and you know our divisions and being so open about it. And one of your favorite topics, having a Tucker Carlson who's on TV constantly cheerleading uh, for Russia. All of them are promoting war against Russia on behalf of our new and deeply beloved ally, the government of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin is our most dangerous enemy, they scream. We can't let him hurt Ukraine. So it turns out Russiagate was actually more effective even than we'd realized. The Steele dossier has been debunked, but in Washington, the theme remains in force. Russia, 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 Russia is bad. Apparently, Ukraine's eastern border with Russia, unlike, say, our southern border with Mexico, is a sacred boundary created by God that must be protected at all costs up to and including American lives. Why is it disloyal to side with Russia, but loyal to side with Ukraine? They're both foreign countries that don't care anything about the United States. You know, th this historic ignorance, uh, watching our parties not be able to have a clear line on Nord Stream uh, or create doubt on whether we were going to honor our Article 5 uh, obligations. Is the confusion over here giving way too many bad messages over there? You know, you talk to leaders all the time on Capitol Hill. And, and I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but I think, you know, 
these are just people, right? Like anybody else. Like there's no magic leader up there that is all omnipotent. And so things that you and I take for granted, Article 5, NATO, for example, or the idea that Ukraine is a country that's been, has a people and an ethnicity and a language for centuries, right? We take for granted that's actual truth and fact and knowledge. But not many people think that way. Not many people know that. This is something that has to be continually educated. This is a constant thing. So when all of a sudden a leader, a leader uh, comes out, a, a bully pulpit, the Tucker Carlson, who talks to millions of Americans every night, every night, he's some oracle that community and he tells them a different story which you and i know is false it kind of doesn't matter in a way those people suddenly believe it that's the truth and so what he's doing is he is essentially the uh the the fountain he's the um he's like the 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 father coughlin of 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 today he's the guy who is spewing the bile into our political environment now so do you think do you do you think falsehoods? Do you yes. think Tucker Carlson is like Mike Flynn, an unregistered foreign agent, or just a useful, <laughs> or a useful idiot of a well, Russian propagandist? Well, there's been a discussion about whether or not he should be registered as a foreign agent, but that would imply that he is actively, if it, to be registered, he would have to be actively doing it at the direction of the foreign government, and I. I I'm not sure yet if he is. I, I would tend to think he's not, but it, it's sort of like he's like got a super PAC and the candidate and they can't talk, but they kind of know what each other is saying. So he's just going to wink and nod and do it anyways. And, you know, politics like there are ways around it. So he's looking at this and he's seeing what they're saying and he knows it's a good message for the base. And it was Donald Trump's message. And essentially, Ukraine anyways undermined Trump in 2019 and 20 because Zelensky didn't turn over the goods on Joe Biden. And therefore, he's kind of an enemy anyways. And it's that whole thing mashed together for his own personal political power, which is completely a historic and, and, and counterfactual. But that's what he's doing. And But it's very dissonant. You and I were in a room together just the other day at the, the Delphi Economic Forum. Brilliant forum, by the way. On the Eastern Mediterranean, Southeast Europe. Uh, we heard former Secretary Pompeo speak, and he would, he did not mince words on this issue. Not, not only did he say Russians are bad guys, when he was talking, actually, he was contrasting the Greek Orthodox, the ecumenical patriarch, who is Greek Orthodox, with the Russian Orthodox patriarch. And he's saying, look at who is sticking up for the barbarians, and look who is criticizing them. So is this fissure in the Republican Party... You think that's going to reform the Republican Party or is it something that it's, you know, Ron DeSantis is going to come up the middle because he can appeal to the Trump base plus maybe be critical of Putin? Well, going to your point you're, you're, the, that you continually remind us about, which is critical, is that what happens over there matters here. Now the question is, how much does it matter? Right. How much does it really matter to voters in the Republican Party? And at the moment, the current moment, Russia is polling really bad and Vladimir Putin is polling even worse. And that is making Republicans who up until this moment were pro-Putin or pro-Russia or, you know, in that lane, pause. What's surreal is to see how Tucker is leaning in. He's almost doing the counterfactual like after January 6th, where after January 6th, it was toxic 
to say that you supported the riots and, and all. And there were many Republicans, Kevin McCarthy going down to the House floor, denouncing the, the, the insurrection. But now that's turned. And why did that turn? The media environment was a part of it. And politically, people wanted it to turn. So I'm going to ask you this. How long will Vladimir Putin remain unpopular in the Republican Party? Or does it have a short shelf life? Well, one, it depends on how long this goes. Again, I don't see the end. And in fact, at that same conference we were at that, we heard senators from the Foreign Relations Committee, we heard former Secretary Pompeo say, we don't know how it ends, especially because there's no win for him. His plan A, his plan B, his plan C have gone away. Uh, the, the West is proving pretty resilient uh, in terms of taking the costs on, especially energy costs. With winter passing us by, Russia's leverage on that point is getting less and less yeah. every day. So uh, the, his, he launched the invasion when he did, hoping for a quick win. Uh, even the ground to send more troops, to send more tanks, that the, the physical ground, the terrain is going to become harder because it's going to become muddier and it's not going to have the, the, the sheer ice. It only gets worse. Easier to do it. So it only gets worse. It only gets worse for him. This is going to be very much a war of attrition. Who can, who can take on more of the pain? Here domestically for us, though, yeah. is... Will there be a Republican candidate or will Republican candidates start distancing themselves from Trump and Carlson and find a new standard bearer who is going to talk, uh, who is going to use the words of a Reagan or even a George W. Bush, that this is why this is worth the sacrifice. Uh, and Trump is wrong, but Biden's not leading us well. Is that, and if they don't, and we got to get somebody, you know, I, I'd love to get a field person in here or a pollster because the European populations that are being affected, they have, a, they have large immigrant populations in the United States. Big and I'm team. talking about second and third generation. In you know, critical swing states. In, in, in the very suburban communities that decided 2018 decided 2020 that gave house republicans an unexpectedly strong showing in 2020 the suburbs of philadelphia the oh. suburb of pittsburgh chicago cleveland, cleveland uh, increasingly so the suburbs of phoenix you're going to see people who look over there who have family who have homelands that are being affected and they're going to remember who did not That's right. step up? Uh, and this is this is something we've we've seen again. The American people respond. Uh, they responded during World War II, sticking up for. Uh, again, we heard about it in in this conference. But you know, when the Nazis invaded Greece and and Greece put up a heroic resistance, it was the longest holdout up to that point in World War II. There were, there were relief drives and celebrations of, of, of the Greek resistance here in the United States. 
just like we're seeing right now with Ukraine. Uh, the American people see the, uh, this is the first time in a long time that I think they've seen a black and white issue. I had another congressman from New Hampshire, New Hampshire, right? Who uh, Congressman Chris Pappas at that conference said, this is the first time in a long time that my constituents are asking me about foreign policy first. Well, that's a big statement since the fiasco, the the fiasco of the Afghanistan withdrawal, the horrible imagery of the Afghanistan withdrawal. And for for a congressman in New Hampshire, one of the earliest and most consequential states in the primary season, saying my constituents have that on the mind first is huge. Well, well, I'm going to just put a couple more ideas in the hopper for future exploration as well. One is that if we hadn't gotten out of Afghanistan, we may very well not have been able to do what we're, what we're doing right now regarding Russia. And, and it's, it's something to explore. And part of the decision to leave Afghanistan, forget about the execution at the end, but the decision itself was to pivot and have flexibility. It was aimed towards China. <laughs> Nobody thought it was going to be towards Russia, but nonetheless, we were freer of mind and, and uh, resources. The other thing that's really interesting politically here, two things, what you're talking about, the white ethnics, the white Christian ethnics in this country, the European descendants are getting motivated and mobilized and engaged, as you just described. As a Jewish American, I know how important Israel policy is to the Jewish community. It's been a big thing for us. Cubans and Cuban-American policy, big yeah. thing. The white ethnic uh, Christian world has kind of been lower key on it. Not anymore, as you say, which means yeah. when it comes to politics, the framing of this very well could be about whether or not Biden was tough enough or who's, a, you know, were they good enough on it? And just finally, maybe, possibly, we could kick out of the room the quacks who are pro-Putin yeah. and just say, you're literally not part of this discussion anymore. You had your moment and uh, you thought he was a winner. He was a loser. And you're a loser if you're with him. And I think so, that so before we go to our next segment, I'm going to agree with you that Afghanistan helped us come together here, but not for the reasons you say. It's because we realize how badly we executed it. We realize how badly we sandbagged our allies. We realize how badly we sandbagged the people who are fighting on the ground for us. And, you know, you you uh, you learn from your mistakes and as uh, there's a there's We're a, famous, a lot of saying, on this. there's saying of there's a fame <laughs> famous uh saying in politics where when when you have to eat don't nibble and i and i think uh the biden administration gulped down and, and they learned and, and fixed the the situation in russia but let's go to loss and translation Strongest alliances. And I said he's a strong guy. Would you shut up, listen? Who is your person? All right, China. Yeah, we've been talking about Russia and Ukraine, even though, as you talked about, Afghanistan, the withdrawal was about pivoting you were executing a pivot to China. The Arab uprisings mess that up. Then Crimea. But right now, how is China? What is China worried about when they're looking at this? 
You know, China right now, and I was in China in April of 2019 for a couple of weeks. And um, I'll just say the thing you feel about China is how massive it is. And that's the first thing. The second thing you feel is how repressed it is. Like it's obvious walking around. People are walking around with their eyes kind of glazed over. There's no dynamism in this street because they're looking over their shoulder because they're cameras all over in the major cities it's a really surreal orwellian kind of experience and i can only imagine it's much worse today than it was three years ago and so for the leaders of china they have been driving to get their country into economic power and leadership globally and this is a moment of truth for china this is the moment because this means that they China have to decide, are they going to continue on the economic path that is going to really, truly be their future? Or are they going to get sucked in to Russia and get pulled back into a military oriented focus, which can harm them economically? And at the same time, they've made common cause with China against the United States and against the West. So this is this is their moment of truth. And they know that we're all coming for them regardless. So I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that they are completely challenged right now because their two doctrines of the economy and anti-West are crashing together with this Russian war. So I think there are some Russian apologists talking line, talking points out there saying, oh, we made a mistake not making a deal with Putin because we pushed him in China's arms, right? This like real politic uh, alliance. And first of all, I think they were always together. Second of all, uh, we are fighting right now. And the West is coming together, rejecting, rejecting absolutely the concept of spheres of influence. Uh, and if Russia got their sphere of influence, there was no way China was not going to demand theirs. Standing up to Putin now, I think, makes China nervous because... China was relying on, and this is why they invested so heavily in Europe, hoping that their investments in Europe might result in vetoes over uh, condemnation of their treatment of the Uyghurs or might give them more inroads for Huawei to expand. They're not really succeeding on, their, on that front. But what they're learning right now is the fissures that they were assuming might not exist in the West, that... Taiwan might get more support in the case of a Chinese uh, military invasion, incursion. Uh, and the tai Taiwanese may already be more capable than U Ukraine anyway. It is also interesting to watch Taiwan, how united they are with Ukraine and standing with Ukraine. Uh, it, China's, uh, China's worldview is a little... Uh, upside down. And this is why you see them trying to have it both ways, right? They won't sanction mm -hmm. Russia, but they keep talking about sovereignty uh, and integrity. Uh, the real the real question this week, will they arm Russia? Russia seems to have asked for it or their reports. Will they arm Russia? Will they come to Russia's economic aid? Can they bail out Russia? They, they don't have a history of bailing out really anybody else. Uh, and so this is a moment of truth, but it's also a moment of truth. I got to say this for us. I don't know if we are all so all consumed 
as a United States that we can't pay attention to everything else that's going uh, going on in the world. I think we have to start thinking strategically and not just tactically and make sure we're not giving a greater sphere of influence either to China or Turkey or Iran while we're trying to to uh, deny Russia a sphere of influence. And I think this is something that you and I are going to come back to with guests in the future, Joel. Absolutely. But, you know, one thing I want to add to that is um, operationally, uh, moving procedurally, moving away from the substance of the question on China, uh, the template that we have just seen executed regarding Russia, the coalition building, the strategy, the sanctions uh, organizing and the diplomacy organizing that was painstaking over months and months and months based upon data and information that was real and revealed. The diplomacy aspect to this is a hugely significant template for future activity regarding China, because regardless of what China does, um, we're going to have to be prepared in either direction. If they're going for it on the economic front, they want to keep doing what they're doing. If they join in the military fight, if they threaten our allies around the region, not if, but when, we have got to figure out how to work with those countries. One of the worst uh, experiences I felt that occurred during my time in the Obama administration was the failure of the, the TPP, the, the, basically the trade agreement with uh, 11, I believe it was 11 countries in Asia to unify our, uh, and harmonize our economic policy. I understand democratically free trade is a huge, and Democratic Party a huge negative. And Donald Trump ran on it and demagogued against it, not only because of the trade issue, but because he doesn't believe in American global leadership or alliance building. Well, now we have a chance and we can remind ourselves of how important that is and how valuable it is to commingle and integrate on policies with our allies, Democratic allies, preferably. And that's most of the time, not always, but most of the time. And to do it in a way that not only enhances our economic power and stability, but also our uh, power projection and our ability to work together when a major threat and challenge comes. Because the China issue is coming. It is not going away. The, the, the bad news is we haven't tackled it fully. The good news is that there's still many more years to tackle it. Uh, it's not going away. Uh, but this idea of this coalition, hopefully, uh, the last thing I'll say is hopefully this has gained a little political value in America right now, that the idea of working with our allies, America alone, not America first, America unified, America multilateral, America leading, but America, um, uh, not America alone, America first, but America together with the world helps us. It adds to our strength. And hopefully that will also work on the on the, the China front. But as an admo admonishment, hopefully that's not only the change doesn't only have to happen on the right, has to happen on the left. Bernie ran against TPP too. Hey. But to, leave it, to, to leave it, to to leave everyone with this on Warning Channel, we'll see you again next week. Excellent. Yesterday, yesterday, there was an attempt on the Senate floor to confirm more national security uh, confirmations, uh, appointees who passed through the Senate Foreign Relations Committee with bipartisan support and a Republican senator held them up. 
we have to decide whether we want to lead in this world and whether we want to win and not just win political points here. You, Warning shot with Joel Rubin and Andy Zemini. You nailed it. Thanks, everyone. What do you have?